This is Power in Practice. The law of gravity is nonsense. No such law exists. If I think I float, if you think I float, then it happens. It's time to get down to business. All of the realities of BDSM in practice. Welcome to Power in Practice. You're listening to the second part of Creating a Structure by Flag, recorded live during a meeting in New York City. We have cut out questions from individuals in order to protect their privacy. I don't have to write about it. Just clean. We'll be fine. If it does matter, this would be the place. Create the rules, the don't list, the things you never want to see, the things you never want to hear, the things you never want to have to deal with. Sadly, things like don't annoy me or never be sad don't work too well. So try and keep it realistic. And then lastly, create rituals. If there's anything left that's important to you that doesn't fit into those categories, like call me sir, put it there. That's the list that you take And once you're satisfied with it and feel that if you had these things, you would have a stable platform to work with and then create anything you want from there. But these are the bare minimums you would have to have. That is what you present. That is what you put in in front of whoever. Because that is the one document you can put in front of any of them. It doesn't matter if there's 16 of them waiting on you hand and foot you can show each and every one of them this one document without tailoring it because these are your minimums. This is what you cannot live without. This is what it takes to be in your service at all. No tweaking, no a little bit of this for that one, a little bit of that for that one. That all comes later if they sign. That all comes later if they can live with this. It gives everybody an honest, hopefully, upfront, hopefully, appraisal of what you are about and what you expect. We know flowery details, no distracting emotional content, no confusing language, no abstracts, no nonsense. And from there, you have a chance to build something that works. We have found this out the hard way because all of us wrote our rules in our own particular style, in our own particular wording, and we didn't speak each other's language. Everything we wrote and then would hand to each other had to get boiled down to its simplest, most basic components. The intent of any idea had to be communicated. Not the content, not the language. Sir C would use extremely exacting language but she would not always be exacting in her intent. It was often confusing when we would be trying to understand what the heart of what she was getting at was. Ken speaks his language, I certainly speak mine. And the only way we were able to start creating a community with more than one dominant that worked was boiling everything down to its essentials. 
I wrote here about the third party concept. The idea that the structure itself should be looked at as a third party, an arbiter in the relationship. Uh, the idea that uh, there's you, there's your servant, and then there's your contract. The idea behind that was that the contract is hopefully inviolate. It is your umpire. It is your arbiter. It is the ultimate authority in conflict. And you know, I don't really abide by that anymore. I found that that actually gets in the way more than it helps. I think contracts are important in the beginning, especially in a poly household, because the temptation to give different people different things when you're just talking, just talking is a much more fluid state of being than writing things down. So to avoid fluidity, putting things on paper, I see contracts as a tool, not as an end result. If I have power over someone, I have power over someone, whether or not they signed a damn piece of paper. That's the truth of it. If they are offering me power and authority, well, that's different. If I have authority over someone, it might be established by paper. Power isn't. Power just is, or it isn't. But authority can be established by a piece of paper. Short-term relationships can be established by a piece of paper. Scenes can be established by a piece of paper. A piece of paper, however, cannot replace power. It cannot replace genuine dominance. It can't replace anything. And that's the essential lie of formality. The idea that, in that pinky-raised way, if I write a contract, I have power. That's not true. If you write a contract and it is agreed to, you have authority as long as it is agreed to. Power is its own animal. I don't have an organized presentation, as Jack does, on the history of my poly family. But it has very definitely evolved. Without question, it has changed from its inception in, in about 2000 to today. When it started in 2000, it was an aggressive attempt to create something that we were looking for in the outside world. We were looking for a place that would hold up standards of service as a good thing, because we didn't see one. We were looking for a place that would attempt to train people up to their ability and up to their potential in service and attract people who were desired service. We attempted to train strangers and we attempted to train people for other people just to promote this idea. When Ken came up with the idea, he, uh, it was sort of a, if you build it, they will come. Let's build an ark and see how many pairs of animals show up idea. And as it turned out, we built the ark and it's still there and it hasn't rained yet and not a lot of animals ever showed up. But it didn't die. The idea evolved. We became more cemented as a family. We learned an enormous amount from each other. I can't even begin, at this point, I can't differentiate where the things I knew, the things I learned on my own, and the things I learned from Ken and Circe are. I can pick individual lessons, perhaps, and individual quotes, 
but it is so much a part of my thinking, and they have it were such an incredible influence on me, and such an incredibly powerful influence on my thinking that I really, I can't tell the difference until we're arguing, and we still always argue. But we turned into a think tank. At this point, we're simply addressing the ideas intellectually. We post, we write, we talk, we do seminars. We share authority, but we're no longer training strangers, and we're no longer concerned with training each other's property up to our personal standards, partially because our standards have merged, and partially because that idea is no longer so important. It's become less institutional and more familial. I am, in fact, Kimi and Tatsumi's uncle, somehow. I'm not entirely sure how that happened, but it did. The evolution itself took a lot of time, and there's a lot of stories and ideas and anecdotes that compose that. I'm trying to find single lessons that I can pull out. Again, this was a last-minute thing. I wasn't completely prepared. Does anyone here... All right, again, there are a few people here who are in multi... Are, is anyone here in a multi-dominant structure? Okay, the only other multi-dominant... Yes, one? Okay, sort of. Other than you, then, the only other multi-dominant structure I know firsthand is Sovereign House. I don't know how Sovereign House works. Not saying I have no idea how that thing runs. I'm just saying I don't know how it works. It seems very familial. It seems very much a leather family. And I think Bo's got a kind of patriarch role. Interesting. Now, the compartmentalization is that by people or by subject? I mean, do we have a dean of students and a... It's by person. Okay. That's, the, that's probably a bit more effective because people tend to form relationships with people more easily than they do with ideas. Well, I mean, and that's, that's a basic human functioning level. It's familial in structure with compartmentalized authority. That makes sense. The estate, so for what it is, it, it's evolved. I don't even know if it's the estate anymore. We. Uh, we is currently... Ken Soulhunter and his girls, myself, David, Cersei, off wherever she is. Sir will, it doesn't matter that she's moved away. The fact is, Sir could call up and get on the phone with Tats or Kimmy or anybody under me and go, listen, I need you to go stand naked in traffic. And they'd be expected to do it because we expect Sir knows what the hell she's talking about and they don't have to check with us. Okay, so you are slave per the... I couldn't really hear you too well over the air conditioner, not your fault. You are slave per se to one person, but the others have influence, and you do the best you can to try and... But final authority belongs to Ms. Okay, so what we have is compartmentalized with some shared authority. That's, that's a workable example. Did you have a hand up? Yes. We worked that out pretty quickly because that was one of the things that we were aware could happen. So the first things we started working out were those dominant conflicts. Basically, the, the premise is this. Disagreements between, and the, these rules were worked out when there were three of us, and they still kind of stand in a much more informal way. Disagreements between trainers would come down to a two-to-one vote, and the one who was not, did not win would go along with the other two in matters of shared authority or estate business. But, and this was the interesting thing, and this is how it was different than 
the other structures I know. The shared authority was equal unless this uh, unless an owner stepped in, but not as a default. So how am I? I'm, I'm not phrasing this correctly. This came down. I remember once Kimmy picked me up at a, at a ferry when I was coming over to Jersey, and it was early on, and we were talking about this, and I said, you know, I could just tell you to keep driving. And she gave the traditional Kimmy eek and turned a little pale and gripped the wheel because she realized, yes, it's true. I could tell her to keep driving, just go straight past Ken's house. She did not have the default authority to call Ken and check. What we did was because we were trying to create a, tra a training institution of peers was create the idea that we trusted each other enough that whatever that X had to say automatically had my approval unless I stepped in. So someone who followed, if someone under me followed Ken's instructions to put a live mouse in my bed or whatever, they would not be in trouble. The standing order was follow Ken, and I trusted Ken not to do something stupid. It was absolutely the idea that we didn't want anyone calling home to mommy. We wanted to enforce the idea of other people's authority as genuine, and that there was no fail-safe, no safety net. You couldn't just be safe because you were owned by X, because Y had Y and Z had as much influence in your life as X. It's a perfect solution because that way, even if people get uppity about those aren't my rules, it doesn't matter. Don't come. If you cannot abide, if you can't play by the rules, don't join the game. Absolutely perfect. There's one other thing that is seems universal to attempts to create a poly house that I haven't talked about yet, and it is the one thing that seems to be a problem in every polystructure I've ever seen. Not necessarily with every individual in it, but with every structure. And the closer they live together and the closer they function together, the worse it gets. And that would be jealousy and envy. You bet. That's why I brought it up. Absolutely. Because it's a whole separate topic from creating, because there's nothing you can do about it on paper. What are you going to do? Write down, thou shalt not be jealous? Well, that's done. Worked out neatly. Glad I took care of that. Not going to happen. So, I have seen every backflip and compromise imaginable to try and deal with this. I'll spend an hour a day with this person, so I spend an hour a day. I've seen people fill out their calendars. Um, then there's the who sleeps on the floor, who sleeps in the bed rotation. The, if I bang this one on Tuesday, I've got to bang that one on Thursday chart. I am not kidding. Just, and you know what this ends up doing? It ends up with whoever's on top spending all his time chasing his or her own tail, trying to keep the people below them, so the superior is spending all their time trying to keep their servants from getting cranky. Do you really think this works at all? No. The answer, as far as I can tell, 
is bastardy. There is a time to be a dick. And this is the time. The end results theoretically. Theoretically, if it's a DS structure, what is everyone supposed to be aiming for? Please, in dominant. Any other answers? Theoretically, the idea is if you're involved in a DS relationship from the bottom, you're there because pleasing a dominant makes you happy on some level. I'm not saying SM. I'm not even saying anything as broad as BDSM. I'm going to narrow it down to DS, which has a lot more to do with the motivations and behaviors of people and a lot less to do with how much you like getting caned. So if the end result that everyone is supposedly shooting for in the DS structure is happiness through slavery, is the idea that serving this higher power makes you happy and keeping them happy makes you happy. The tough job for the dominant is to put themselves first in the face of people they care about being unhappy, which goes against every bit of programming we tend to have as people growing up. The people beneath me are unhappy. I must be doing something wrong. I will therefore put X needs or wants aside to try and fix this immediate problem and put a Band-Aid on it. Odds are good that is not the solution. Yeah, we're, we're actually going to get to that in, in all kinds of ways because it's, it's not about what... When I'm talking about this Band-Aid example, it's almost never about the boo-boo that you put the Band-Aid on. It's always about something exactly as you said, whether it's desire, quality of attention, feeling of love, feeling of competition, insecurity. All of these things are things that you as the dominant probably cannot fix. Nor is it your responsibility. You are not the doctor. There is nothing wrong with making the people under you happy and comfortable. There is something wrong with trying to fill the holes that are in them, the places that are insecure and can never be filled, the wounds that you cannot close. You have to decide if you want to spend your time around that wound. They have to decide if that wound is important enough to keep. Because a lot of this is indulgence. In my opinion, most of it. Insecurity, envy. If you look at them as indulgence and not some sort of God-given right and world-shattering crisis, it's a hell of a lot easier to stick to your guns. If you can stick to your guns... The time you spend with the people you spend it with is time you want to spend. It is quality time. That's the real, the, the real contradiction here is I spend a lot of time talking about the idea of structure over romance. And therefore, people assume that somehow I've got some sort of magic wand or I'm some sort of autistic freak who can turn my feelings off. Uh, I am not that fortunate. I get tripped up by my feelings quite often, which is why I have enough boo-boos and scars to write about this stuff. I've made all these mistakes personally and rubbed my own nose in them all at one time or another, many of them more than once. The idea, the goal here is to remember what the end result is supposed to be, is to keep your goals in mind and not to be distracted by tears. 
and not to be distracted by bruises. Because if you can get past that to a higher purpose, in the end, everyone is in fact happier. However, not all problems are that simple. The real trick is being able to tell the difference between something that is just an indulgence and something that is a real matter that demands attention. And then the question is, if this demands attention, and I have met no one in any structure that has ever said there is not a time and a place and a way to deal with things that demand attention, even the most unfeeling of them that I personally know, there's always some way to address communication issues. Is this something you can solve? Is this something you wish to solve? Because, you again, it comes down to structure over romance, you're going to have to ask yourself what is worth more, your collar or the person in it. Now that answer may change from person to person. One of the things that made me realize that Ken Soulhunter had things to say I needed to hear was in our first conversation, he mentioned the idea that I can love you and still take away my collar. I can give someone my collar and not love them. And that was the first time I'd ever heard those two ideas separated. Because unless it was in porn, the first thing anybody would ever tell me is, you gotta communicate and it's loving and it's all about making everybody happy and, and let's, let's all curl up in the Easter basket and this is great. And go to hell. Yeah, I, just the worst advice I ever got. The idea that I could take my collar from someone and still love them had never crossed my mind. But yes, I can love someone, I can be in love with someone and take my collar from them. That will change the nature of our relationship, but it doesn't mean I love you any less. And once I realized I could make that distinction, it became easier to deal with the conflicts. You know, it's I love you, but you're not doing the job or you're not the person I want in that collar. And these two things are not reconcilable. If you can do that, everything else is smaller. Everything else is I have to deal with your tears, but if I can make myself have enough of a spine, I can deal with them. Deal with them might mean listening to you. Deal with them might mean telling you to shut up because you're being indulgent. Dealing with you might mean any number of things that are not in the SSC safety manual, but it's deal with it, not cave to it. It, it. Sadly, on both sides of the leash, it comes down to Yoda. There is no try, only do. It's, there's this thing where if you start kidding yourself that acting inappropriately is excusable because you are upset you're doing something wrong. You know what's right, you know what's wrong. That doesn't change because you're upset. That doesn't change because you're jealous. That doesn't change because you're angry. And that goes for both sides of the leash. Everybody in this room should have some standards for their own behavior. And those standards for their own behavior should not disappear the first time their feelings get bruised. They should not disappear because they're jealous. 
That's integrity. And integrity has dual meanings. Integrity in terms of personal integrity, being a person who will abide by their word and by their commitments and by their responsibilities, who knows what their role is and will aggressively seek to do it to the best of their ability. Doesn't matter what side of the leash you're on, you better be sticking to that standard or you are failing. Order ship's integrity, the hull integrity. If there is a breach in the hull, the ship sinks. Works either way. You must maintain your integrity. And therefore, if you're not sure what your responsibilities are, it's the only reason to write a contract. You're not writing one to make yourself feel good. You're not writing one because it's hot. And you're not writing one because it'll somehow establish that they'll stay with you forever. None of these things are true. None of these things are important. You're writing one so you're clear on what your own responsibilities are, what your own role is, and that you are accountable for doing it. And the more people you bring under you, the more people you are responsible to, if only to be the best you can. I mean... A lot of people will ask, say, what is the dominant's responsibilities? My responsibility is to be my best. And that's harder than it sounds because I'm a lazy fuck. But that's my responsibility. My responsibility is not to keep you warm and clothed and fed. My responsibility is not to keep you happy. My responsibility is to be my best, is to be someone you find worth serving. If I fail to be someone worth serving leave. I accept that. It's happened to me several times. And every time I had my share of blame because I was not living up to my end of things. Whether I couldn't or I wouldn't doesn't matter. On the other side, what are your responsibilities to me? Well, I could just as well boil it down to be your best. But that means be your best in my service which means I can expect anything of you at any time, so you might want a somewhat more elaborate contract than that. So again, the function of contracts is simply to illuminate and outline the responsibilities of both sides of the leash. And from there on in, it's about impeccability. It's about being your best and being inspiring to be worthy of service. And the more people you have under you, the harder you have to work because no two people are inspired by exactly the same thing. And if you have four people under you, you better be one talented son of a bitch or not see them all at the same time all the time. Structure over romance. It can. It makes things, I'll say at least for me, it always does. Familial is almost easier. Familial there's a DS component to familial relationships of every type. Daddy has authority. And as I was discussing at another time, daddy has authority that doesn't need to be justified by anything else other than being daddy. Daddy is authority in and of itself. All families have power dynamics. So in some ways, familial authority, familial relationships are easier. They're clearer. Romantic love is also possible within MS relationships in a direct proportion to how complicated that relationship is going to get. Possible? Yes. Easy? No. 
the more intense the romance, the more difficult the MS. Some people disagree. I've found that to be a consistent rule in every relationship I've ever had, whether it was an artificially constructed relationship or a completely natural power dynamic that was unavoidable when these two people met. The more romance got involved, the more difficult DS and MS becomes because romance encourages vulnerability. You cannot be passionately in love with someone and not feel the temptation to open yourself up and become vulnerable to them. When you are in love, anyone can stab you. Everyone is armed. And that is not a position of power. That is a position of peers or worse. And if you're in love with someone who doesn't feel things as intensely as you do, you're at a distinct disadvantage because your temptation to cave in conflict will be more than their temptation to cave in conflict. But is it possible? Yes. Sometimes I, I have gone into relationships with the intent of nothing but a clear DS, oh fuck. <laughs> yeah, well, here I am again. And that's happened to me a couple times. In our culture, Romantic love is about giving. On its base level, DS is about taking. There's a problem. They don't sync up real well. People can make it work. Some people, it's a natural dynamic and they mesh perfectly. And I envy them. It's yet to happen to me. But good for them. However, that's an organic development, not an artificial one. That is not one that can be arbitrated. It is not one that can be agreed upon. It simply has to happen. Okay. Romantic relationship. Give, give. DS relationship, in many ways, give, take. The idea being, as one part of this equation, has to be hard has to be in charge, has to refuse to compromise, has to resist the temptation to make things easier for someone they love. Because in the short form, it's my current slash last slash quasi-existing relationship with my animal. She's one of those, most of you have seen Shrek, you know the cat with the big eyes? She's one of those. And every time I've made a mistake there, it's because I look at the big eyes and I go, I don't want her to be upset. I don't want her to be unhappy. And every time later I realized I gave away something that would have been better for me to be a bastard and keep. Because the long term of the relationship, she would be happier if I was more aggressively on top. In the moment to moment, she's happier because she got the cookie. In the moment to moment, she's happier because I didn't do something that was painful, abrasive, hurtful, neglectful. I paid attention. I did whatever it was. But in the end, the more of those you give, the more of an even level you're on, 
and it becomes a give-give. And once you give-give, you've lost give-take. So yes, you could isolate any given dynamic and go, well, I'm taking here and they're giving there. Yeah, that's not what I'm talking about. You know, save the specifics, save the details. Uh, I'm talking about the trends that define the relationship. The more carefully and more selective you have to be about where you step. It's absolutely right there, the difference between structure and romance, between logic and feeling. Because ideally, logically, the less I have to check up on you, therefore the more I trust you, therefore the more capable I view you of being, therefore the happier you should be. Except that minimizes contact and attention. And it's the contact and the attention that's the reward, that's the cookie. So it seems that the bad kid is getting more attention. So why am I spending all this time being good? Kimmy, <laughs> you've been under, what, eight years of very serious conditioning. <laughs> Most people are starting in a much more insecure base about what attention is. And more often, from, the very, from when we were kids, a kid who isn't getting attention will act out to get it. It's a very basic human behavior. You've been listening to the second part of Creating a Structure by Flag. Recorded live during a meeting in New York City. You've been listening to Power in Practice, www.powerinpracti.com.